a few Lord's Day evenings, we have discussed a few different topics and doctrines, one of them being justification by faith alone in Christ. We compared the Reformed, and I'm going to say Reformed slash biblical view of justification. Uh, we compared it to the Roman Catholic view of justification, and I found one to be providing peace with God, while the other one provides no peace with God. Uh, in the one, that is the biblical, I believe, uh, you have peace with God through the finished and perfected or finished and perfect work of Christ. It is completely sufficient for your salvation. Rome does not believe that the work of Christ was sufficient. It's necessary, but not sufficient for our salvation. We also considered the doctrine of sola scriptura, and it has essentially the same kind of, of principle. The word of God, we believe, is the only certain infallible rule of faith and obedience. Rome believes that the word of God is necessary, but the word of God is not sufficient. Rome believes that scripture and tradition are the certain rules of faith and obedience. And when we come to the doctrine of the teachings of the church, the Roman Catholic Church on the Pope, uh, we will see that when the Pope speaks from his seat of authority, that his words are also viewed by Rome as being authoritative and from God himself. Now, there's many different forms, then, of authority from Rome. But the church, we have just the word of God. The word and the word alone is the only certain rule of faith and obedience. In the one, God has the final authority over what should be believed and practiced in the church. While in the other, uh, they believe that there are many, at least three, different forms of authority. Tonight, with God's help, we shall consider another heresy. And it is a heresy that is present in the Roman Catholic Church. And it is, uh, dear brothers and sisters, the practice of the Roman Catholic Mass. The Roman Catholic Mass. I can remember spending the night with my cousins as a young man or young uh, kid. And we would wake up the next day and we would go to a Catholic Church. I remember even a few times when I was there, I would uh, take what I thought was the Lord's Supper. Uh, I thought, I don't know, it wasn't bread, it was some kind of plastic. It didn't, it didn't break easy in my mouth. Uh, but what I saw as a young man didn't move me. And it was mostly because I didn't understand what was going on. Now, let me say to you young people who are here this evening, you may be seeing your parents come and partake of a Lord's Supper, and it may not move you either, simply because you don't understand what's going on. Let me say with, I think, all the grace and patience, and I think hopefully understanding, that I believe that many Roman Catholics, while they may be old and young, they don't still understand what's going on in the Roman Catholic Mass. What we're going to talk about this evening, I, I, I would wager, friendly wager, of course, I would wager that many of them do not have a full and deep understanding 
of what Rome teaches is actually taking place in the Roman Catholic Mass. Pastor Isaiah gave me the official document of the Roman Catholic Church. It's catechism. It's what the Roman Catholic Church confesses. I forgot it. I was, if you saw me scrolling through my phone, that's what I was looking for. I was trying to find their catechism online. I didn't have enough time. There's a, a certain, there's a few uh, quotes on page 381 of the Roman Catholic Catechism that really detail what's taking place in the Eucharistic, and I'm going to use this because it's a technical term, the Eucharistic sacrifice. If you're taking notes, that's an important word to uh, be mindful of. The Eucharistic sacrifice. There's something taking place there, which is now called, the, which we call the Mass. <clears throat> there is something taking place that I don't believe Rome fully understands. It's one of the reasons why, here in this church, we go to great lengths to teach about the Lord's Supper in so many different varieties of ways, so that when you come to the Supper, you know exactly what you're coming what uh, to celebrate and what's taking place, and also what's not taking place. I'm not sure if Rome, at least the members of Rome, uh, those who are a part of the Roman Catholic Church, I'm not sure they fully understand. That's my gracious way of saying I hope they don't. I'd like to read uh, for you a quote from a Roman Catholic apologist named John O'Brien. John O'Brien, in his book, Faith of Millions, uh, millions and maybe even, God forbid it, billions that's going to be a key phrase when we begin to talk about the uh, the Pope in a few weeks and his being the Antichrist. And one of the Antichrists, one of his functions is to lead away masses. This book, uh, Faith of Millions by John O'Brien, listen to what he says is taking place in the Roman Catholic Mass. Now, some of you have been to a Mass You've seen what takes place. There's the, the priest who's walking down the center aisle. He has the altar boys who are walking with him. There is this incense that is going before them. Uh, this is what the, this is what this apologist says is taking place during that particular time. Listen close. <clears throat> when the priest announces the tremendous words of consecration, time to partake of the mask. Here's what he says is taking place. He, the priest, reaches up into the heavens, brings Christ down from his throne, and places him upon the altar to be offered up again as the victim for the sins of man. It is a power, he says, greater than that of the saints and angels, what the priest does. Greater than that of seraphim and cherubim. He goes on to say, it indeed is greater even the power of the Virgin Mary. She has power, don't you know? While the Blessed Virgin Mary was the human agency by which Christ became incarnate a single time, the priest brings Christ down from heaven. And renders him present on, he says, our altar as the eternal victim for the sins of man. Not once, but a thousand times. 
Here's what he says goes on. The priest speaks and lo, listen to this, Christ, <clears throat> the eternal and omnipotent God bows his head in humble obedience to the priest's command. Now, I'm going to stop for a second. There's more to be said that I'm going to read. Some of you were Roman Catholics. You didn't know this. We should be, I think, careful when we're sharing this gospel with our Roman Catholic friends and family members, because I don't believe they know this. He goes on to say, of what sublime dignity is the office of the Christian priest? And now he's starting to elevate the priest who is thus privileged to act as ambassador and vice uh, vice regent, a person exercising delegated power on the behalf of a sovereign ruler of Christ on earth. Listen to this. He continues <clears throat> the essential ministry of Christ. He teaches the, with the faithful with the authority of Christ. He pardons the sinner with the power of Christ. He offers up again the same sacrifice of adoration and atonement which Christ offered on Calvary. Listen to this part and then we'll close with that. No matter, no wonder the name which spiritual writers are especially fond of applying to the priest is that of Alter Christus. For the priest is another Christ. The priest takes the place of Christ so that he can offer Christ. For the supposed people of Christ. Pastor Isaiah said a few moments ago. It's one of the most heretical things that is done in the Roman Catholic Church. It is why John Calvin uh, said that we should at all costs. Never attend. A mass of the Roman Catholic Church. Because of what the people don't know what's going on. But the priest does know what's going on. The priest does know what he's supposed to know. He's been trained to know. He does know what he's doing. He does know what uh, the acts that he are, that he is doing, what they signify. I'm glad that as we read through some of these things, you were appalled. See your faces of great concern and worry. You should be. This should cause you and I to pray for our Roman Catholic friends and family members more. This should be great concern for us to evangelize to them. <clears throat> the Council of Trent met in its 13th session in October of 1551 and prepared a decree concerning, listen to this, the most holy sacrament of the Eucharist. At the end, they compiled a list of canons, that is standards, and anathemas, which are curses, for those who reject the canons. They are these statements of absolution or dogma. And if you reject the dogmas, then you're cursed. Here are seven of the dogmas. Listen close. Concerning the mass. What you must say is true. And if you don't, you are cursed. If anyone says at the mass, that in the mass, a true and real sacrifice is not offered to God. 
or this is canon number one, or that to or that to be offered is nothing else than Christ, than that Christ given us to eat. Let him be anathema. Let me read that again. Uh, or that to be offered is nothing else than that Christ. Sorry, than that Christ given to us to eat. Let him be anathema. If you don't believe there is a real sacrifice offered at the mass, and if you don't believe that when you are eating of the body and drinking of the cup, it is literally the actual body of Christ that has been changed, and the actual real blood of Christ that has been changed, then you are cursed. Now, let me say, and Pastor Isaiah and I talked about this recently, that's not coming from nowhere. Jesus did say, this is my body. Uh, Martin Luther, who we love, had a great debate. And his stance was, this is my body. He was pounding the table. This is my body. To stand on what he believed was the fact that Christ said, it's my body. It's literally my body. Here's canon number two. If anyone says that those words, do this in remembrance of me. Oh, by those words, do this in remembrance of me. Christ did not institute the apostles, priests, or did not ordain that they and other priests should offer his own body and blood. Let them be anathema. Now, there's an aspect to this that we agree with, and that is elders are called to distribute the Lord's Supper. That's not only what they're saying, though. They're saying that did not ordain that they the other that they and other priests should offer his own body and blood. Let him be anathema. They're saying, if anyone says the priest does not have the authority and has not been ordained by God to offer up the body, literal, bringing him down, offering him as a sacrifice, then you are cursed. Thirdly, these are the canons. If anyone says that the sacrifice of the mass is one only of praise and thanksgiving, or that it is a mere commemoration of the sacrifice consummated on the cross, but not a propitiatory sorry, one, or that it fits him only who receives and ought to and ought not to be offered for the living and the dead for sins. Listen to this for the living and the dead. For sins, punishments, satisfactions, and other necessities, let him be anathema. Let's break that down now. If anyone says that when you come to the Lord's Supper, if you only believe it to be an act of worship, if you only believe it to be an act of thanksgiving, or if you only believe it to be a commemoration, a remembrance, then you're missing what it truly intends to be. The canon says that this supper, it profits not only the person who receives it. You're, you're not only receiving, as we teach here, a means of grace, right? But they are saying, Rome says, that this should be offered for the living and the dead. That when you partake of this supper, which is a sacrament, a, a good deed... It benefits you and it benefits those who are dead. Well, how would it benefit those who are dead? 
What Rome is speaking of is those who are in purgatory, who are uh, prayed out or who, have, who are given good deeds, who good deeds are attributed to by the living. The living can do good deeds, enough good deeds to get someone out of their waiting place. They also say that this supper, it profits you for your forgiveness of sins. That if you take of the, the mass, your sins will be forgiven. That if you are uh, awaiting punishments, come to the mass, they'll be removed. If you are waiting for something to be satisfied, if you're waiting for a good deed to be done, come to the mass and it will be done. Or it will be done in the place of the good deed that you are expecting to do. If you don't believe these things, you're cursed. Is it a wonder why we know of so many who would party on Saturday and make sure that they were at the mass on Sunday? So that it can all be absolved. Forgiven. Canon 4. If anyone says that the sacrifice or by the sacrifice of the mass... Listen to this. A blasphemy is cast upon the most holy sacrifice of Christ consummated on the cross or that the former derogates of, from the latter or derogates from the latter. Let him be anathema. If you're looking at the mass and saying that's a blasphemy. You receive no benefits from what you're doing in the manner that you're doing it. That manner has not been prescribed by God. And their response to, to me would be anathema on you, cursed on you. Canon number five. There's just uh, two more or one more. If anyone says that it is a deception to celebrate masses in order in honor of the saints and in order to obtain their intercession with God, as the church intends, let him be anathema. Your coming to the mass is a, a means for you to uh, obtain a uh, what does it say? Uh, an audience with God. When you come to the Mass, it gives you the right to come to God. You see why we, we say salvation by works over there. And the last one. If anyone says that the canon of the Mass contains errors... <laughs> If you believe any of this is wrong, is therefore to, and is therefore to be abrogated or done away with, then cursed on you as well. Rome is saying a lot in these canons, isn't he? Or, or isn't she? Uh, there are, are a few major problems with this official doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. Two of them. Number one, transubstantiation. That is the bringing of Christ down and the propitiary, propitiationary, wait, propitiatory, propitiatory, there it is, propitiatory sacrifice. Let's talk very briefly about number one, transubstantiation. This is a great heresy in the Roman Catholic Church. This means that the wafer, the bread, the wine are changed by the power of God into the actual flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. You have already read what uh, the apologists believe when they are partaking of the Mass. They are actually bringing Christ down, re-offering Him as a sacrifice. 
And that priest becomes an altar Christus. He becomes another Christ. He brings Christ down to sacrifice Christ. Rome teaches that this is what is taking place. Christ is offered upon the altar by the priest and it is truly a propitiatory sacrifice. What does that mean? That means that at the Mass, it's the same sacrifice that was offered on the cross all over again. Not once, the apologist says, a thousand times. And what he is doing is being, uh, he's, he's using exaggeration. What he could say is a million times a million. Over and over and over again. Almost all of these Roman Catholics, they base their dogma upon the passage in John. Let's go there so you can see it for yourself. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 53. Uh, We'll start in verse 52, if you don't mind. The Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us? Because Jesus said, uh, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he's a part of me. Uh, They say, how can this man give us flesh to eat his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, here it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood. You shall have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Do you see where they get salvation from when they do so? And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh, listen to this, our true is true food. And my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. Now, it's not ridiculous then that the Roman Catholic Church at least has some kind of belief that when they partake of the Mass, they are actually eating the body and the blood of Christ. Now, we may be appalled by it, but understand, it's not just out of nowhere. Now, here's the thing. Rome believes that she has the authority to interpret what this means and what it doesn't mean. So the danger is because Rome takes a literal passage from uh, takes a passage passage from Christ as being literal and then believes that she has the authority to interpret it. Well, then she can essentially come up with anything that she believes. God means by this passage is Rome intending to intentionally be heretical is rome going out of her way to say i know let's come up with something really crazy so that we can draw masses and masses of people away no i don't believe that rome herself is doing that i believe the one that she has been in bed with satan himself is the one who is influencing the false interpretation and belief of Rome. Because Rome is in bed with Satan, she is the harlot. 
She is the harlot that is described in the scriptures. She is the harlot. She has given herself to another man. She has done essentially what Adam has done in the garden. She has forsaken her first love. Someone said to me the other day concerning um, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, didn't we take this from Rome? And I said, no, Rome took that from us. We are the tree. Rome is that wild branch that is now dead. That is grafted off of orthodoxy. We took nothing from Rome. Rome has taken from us and we are now recovering. Praise be to God. So then what does Christ really mean when he says this is my body? Well, we must ask ourselves when interpreting this passage, does Christ always speak in literal terms? Or does Christ often speak in manners and ways uh, that are meant to at least represent something else, that, that are meant to speak of things in different ways. He says, uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I, how I long to gather you as a hen gathered his chicks, her chicks, but you were unwilling. Well, is Jesus saying, well, I'm actually a chicken. I've got feathers and I wish I could just gather you together because you're my little hens. No. Or chicks and I'm the hen. Not in the least. Christ is making a point about the bread that eventually would be partaken at the Lord's Supper on that final day. He's making a point about the wine that would represent his body. These are representations, not actual things. This evening, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we are going to say we set these things apart for holy use. This bread represents your body. This cup represents your blood. And we believe that you are spiritually fellowshipping with us here tonight. But we don't believe that we are bringing you down, re-offering you as a sacrifice. I don't believe that I'm another Christ who's murdering Christ as he was murdered on the cross. This is heresy. And it's the central act of every gathering of Roman Catholics. What, what's the thing that they are all longing for? I said to one of the, the ladies, we we're talking about Roman Catholic uh, services. I said to them, if you go to a Roman Catholic church, you're going to get a very practical lesson. You're not going to get something like this. You need to go to catechism and to classes in order to get something like this. You're going to get a very, very practical uh, life application kind of lesson. And it's going to be 20 to 25 minutes. The priest knows he's speaking to a bunch of drunks from Saturday night. He knows he's got to give them something very practical so they can just get through the day. What are they all waiting for? Let's get to the mass so I can get my sins forgiven. They at least know that the mass is considered a sacrament. When you partake of the sacrament, one of the seven, then your sins will be forgiven. So bring me the bread, bring me the cup so I can be on my way. They start at 10. They're out by 11. They go through the liturgy. It's the central act of their worship, the Eucharistic sacrifice of the Mass. It is the Orthodox Roman Catholic terminology, Eucharistic sacrifice. This is the focus of every gathering of Roman Catholics. It's a propitiatory sacrifice. 
And it's called that because of this so-called miracle. And they do believe it's a miracle that when Christ, when they bring Christ down, they believe that to be a miracle happening every Lord's Day that the priest has the authority to bring Christ down. And that's why they say with the the words of Christ at the, the Last Supper with his disciples, the priest will often say, take this and eat all of you, for this is my body, which was given up for you. They'll often say that as if they are saying it as Christ himself. The sacrifice in the uh, catechism, page 381, <laughs> I was reading it today. It's said to be an unbloody sacrifice. It's an unbloody, it's a sacrifice, but it's one that, that is void of blood, except that which is contained within the cup. It's not what you would have seen on Calvary, blood everywhere. It's contained within the cup. It's a representation. Representing of the one sacrifice of the mass. And as you partake of it, your sins are forgiven. But sisters, when you come to the Lord's Supper tonight, will your sins then be forgiven because you have partaken of the Lord's Supper? The answer is no. When you come to the Lord's Supper tonight and you take of the bread and you take of the cup, it's a reminder to you that your sins have been forgiven. It's not a promise that your sins uh, will be forgiven because you've partaken. It's a reminder that your sins, by the promise of God, have been forgiven by the work of Christ. Rome says you need to come a thousand times, a thousand times. You need to come as often as you can. Go back. Go back over and over again. And and what does their going back over and over again demonstrate? It demonstrates that they don't believe when the Bible says that the sacrifice of Christ has been completed once and for all. Offered once and for all. That you must continually go back to the altar. You must continually, continually bring Christ back down in order for you to be justified again. In Rome, there's a repeated need for justification. Saints, let me just ask you, pop quiz. Once you've been justified, do you need to be justified again? Bless you. No. You are justified once and for all. Once you have been forgiven for your sins, of your sins. Once you've been justified by faith alone in Christ alone. You no longer need to be justified again. We repent. We repent of past sin, present sin. We repent of future sin. That's a process of sanctification that's ongoing, not justification. Rome teaches that you can go to Mass over and over and over and over and over again and still commit a mortal, moral sin, lose your salvation, lose the grace of justification and become an enemy of God. Well, what must I do? Come back to the Mass. And it will be repeated over again. Even if you don't commit a, a mortal, I'm sorry, I said mor- moral, I meant mortal sin. Even if you don't commit a mortal sin, you can commit a venial sin, a lesser sin. 
You'll still die and go to purgatory and undergo what, what they call satisfacio. That is uh, suffering for your sins so that you can be purged because they don't believe that anything imperfect can enter into heaven. You must be perfect before you enter into heaven. Our argument is that is not the effect of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you go to Hebrews, the message is that Christ has been offered once and for all. And when you go to Hebrews, there's there's a message that says, or those scriptures say, that the blood of bulls and goats could never satisfy, could never satisfy what God required for the forgiveness of sins. Under the old covenant, you had to keep coming back year after year after year. Your sins needed to be, to be atoned for year after year after year. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, sprinkle blood on the altar every single year. Can you imagine what the Holy of Holies looked like? Every single year when they would come back to be forgiven of their sins, to, to offer uh, 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 sacrifices for their sins. Can you imagine what the altar looked like? The blood that had been dried over the years and years of sacrifices being offered for the forgiveness of sins. The high priest would come and once again offer blood as he did before. The text in Hebrews is pointing to the fact that that blood was never going to be good enough to atone for our sins. According to Hebrews, the repetitive nature of the sacrifice pointed to the fact that it was an imperfect sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats will never satisfy. But the blood of Christ does satisfy once and for all. And do you see there's no peace there? If I have to keep going back and offering a sacrifice, keep coming back and taking up the mass so that I can be forgiven. Where's your peace? When do you finally know I do have peace with God? I am no longer his enemy. That God has called me his and I belong to him now. I say to you that it is only when we place our faith in Christ alone that we can know that we have peace with God. That when God, that when we place our faith in Christ, God says to us, He remembers our sins no more. That there is not a, an over and over again of offering Christ, an offering of Christ. There is a once and for all offer of Christ on the cross, and it is for once for all time. He is our perfect priest. No one stands in His place. There is no other Christ. There is only one Christ, and He has been our mediator. And he has perfectly accomplished everything that was needed for our justification. No more is needed, saints, except for faith alone in Christ alone. This is encouraging, I pray. I pray that it would be an encouragement to your family and to your friends who are going and ask them questions. Why are you doing this? What is being accomplished when you do these things? Do you know that there is peace in Christ once and for all? And those things are not necessary. All that is necessary is go to him. Go to the Lamb. Be forgiven of your sins. Be cleansed once and for all. Have peace with God. Fear no more. The sacrifice is finished. But the sacrifice is not finished in Rome. Rome offers you no peace. To have true peace, you must have wellness of soul. 
And the only way to have wellness of soul is to be right with God, forgiven of your sins. And that's only accomplished through Christ. Rome teaches that at any time you could be at war with God. You have no true shalom. The Roman Catholic Church official, not Catholics, I don't believe that the whole, all of them know what I've just taught you tonight. But the Roman Catholic Church, they are the harlot. They are the one who has left their first love, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they, by their false teaching, are leading many away from the true gospel and from the peace of God. It is the doctrine of Satan, devised by Satan, perpetuated by Satan. And we must be aware of it, be bold enough to share these truths with our family and friends, if they're willing to hear it. Be diligent, I, I say to you, brothers and sisters. The work of Christ is finished. That's encouraging news to your family and friends. It's not temporary. It's an eternal finished work. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you would use these things that you've learned to be good evangelists to your friends and, and to your family members. You think about the, the Judaizers in the book of Galatians who were trying to add works to the work of Christ in order for saints to be justified. The Judaizers would be shocked by what Rome is trying to add in order for people to be saved by God. We talk about the Judaizers, they would be appalled. You mean Rome wants you to do what? You know, the Judaizers, there was no indication that they ever denied the resurrection of Christ. They named the name of Christ. They believed in the deity of Christ. There is no indication that they were unorthodox in any other way except for one thing. That they said, faith in Christ is necessary, but you must do one more thing in order to receive and believe the gospel. And Paul said, based upon that one other thing that you're trying to add to the gospel, anathema on you. Curse be you. You are cut off. Because of what you're trying to add to the finished work of Christ. Christ is of no benefit to you if you try to add circumcision to the finished work of Christ. It is either all of Christ or all of you. All of grace or all of you. All of Christ's work or all of your work. Imagine adding dozens and dozens of things as Rome does to the gospel. Rome has called anathemas on all sorts of things that you must believe. But there's one sure anathema from God's word. If you believe that you can add anything to the finished work of Christ, then cursed be you. Rome has been cursed. Their doctrines have been cursed. I remember Pastor Isaiah and I were at my grandmother's funeral. She didn't request to have a Roman Catholic funeral, but it was one that was done uh, anyways. Pastor Isaiah, at the moment that they began that mass, exited the building and stood outside. No one ever said anything to us personally. 
but I hope that they would. Why? So that we could have an opportunity to share what is really going on and what I really don't think they understand and know. Now that you know, I pray that God give you the opportunity to share with those who don't know. Let's pray.